everyone. Welcome to our next episode in our Suicide Postvention podcast series. My name is Sara Nazem, and I'm a clinical research psychologist at the Rocky Mountain Myrock. We're very excited for today's podcast, which will focus on the role of suicide postvention in workplace settings, such as crisis centers. We're joined by Greg Hughes and Joy Sabrina Gay, employees of the Veterans Crisis Line, who will be telling us a bit more about their work and why suicide postvention is important to the work that they do. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm going to first turn it over to the two of you to provide brief introductions of yourselves. Um, Greg, let's start with you. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm Greg Hughes. I'm currently uh, the Director of Field Operations for the Veterans Crisis Line. So in that role, I primarily function as the liaison between the VCL and, and the medical centers and staff in the medical centers um, across the country. Prior to that, um, I worked in the Office of Suicide Prevention uh, as the Director of Field Operations there, and, and in that role was the liaison between um, sort of VACO and uh, SPC staff in the field. And then prior to that was the Director of the Veterans Crisis Line for uh, a period of time, and prior to that for eight years was the Chief of Social Work at the Durham VA. Uh, and, and while I was at the Durham VA, one of the things I used to do as chief was uh, I filled in quite a bit in the, the PEC, the Psychiatric Emergency Clinic, um, just because it was a particular interest of mine. Um, prior to that, I worked in the state of Massachusetts for a number of years in um, mental health and substance abuse, but really started my career um, working in um, uh, a crisis unit at, uh, for the Department of Mental Health um, and also in a local hospital in their ER doing uh, crisis treatment. So I have a fair amount of crisis experience. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll likely tap into a lot of that expertise, especially across different settings that you've worked in, to pick your brain a bit. And Joy Sabrina, do you want to give a brief introduction of yourself? Uh, sure. Awesome. Um, my name is Joy Sabrina Gay. I am a team operations um coordinator with the Veterans Crisis Line here in Topeka, Kansas. Um, that basically means that we supervise the supervisors here. Um, it, we also make sure that we are we act as liaisons between the executive leadership and the, the frontline staff, making sure that the frontline supervisors have all the tools that they need um, to provide guidance and support to our our um, responders and our our um, SSA, social service assistance. Um, prior to coming to the VCL, I worked as a military, um, a military family life counselor on at Warner Robins, working with active duty personnel and their families. Um, prior to that, I worked in a community of South Georgia, doing completing crisis assessments um, as a mobile crisis counselor, and I've also worked with the Department of Juvenile Justice, and I've worked with adults and teens who are experiencing crisis. Um, so that's the, the bulk of my background. Fantastic. Super, super um, expert in this area, too. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, I just wanted to start out kind of big picture, just in case we have some listeners that might not know much about crisis lines. Um, and starting off with just having you um, give us some background on the National Lifeline and the Veterans Crisis Line. Um, Greg, do you want to jump in first? Sure. Yeah, so the, the Veterans Crisis Line is actually part of um, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Um, it's actually the biggest component of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So when you call the 1-800-273-TALK number, 
uh, and you hit press one, you get connected to the Veterans Crisis Fund. And actually, we are now co-branded as the Veterans Crisis Fund and the Military Crisis Fund because we, we serve both uh, veterans and active duty uh, members uh, across the country. So the VCL began uh, seven, oh no, not seven, ten years ago. Uh, in 2007, uh, it was part of a rollout of suicide prevention uh, efforts across the VA that included the uh, development of suicide prevention coordinators at every medical center, as well as some other uh, initiatives related to suicide prevention. Started out in Canandaigua. It was a very small endeavor. Um, I think there was about 30 staff initially. Uh, and over the years, it has grown to the point now where it is uh, 500, I think we have somewhere around 540 responders um, in three locations, so Canandaigua, uh, Atlanta, and Topeka, um, and five, like I said, 520 responders, so those are actually the staff that are on the phones responding to veterans' calls, over 800 staff, um, and the VCL works um, in, a, in a way that um, is somewhat unique for call centers in that uh, VCL has responders who take the call. They also have what Joy referenced earlier as SSA, social service assistance. Those are the, the staff that assist the responders when they actually do uh, an emergency dispatch. So they send emergency personnel out to an individual's location, a veteran's location, because they're at imminent risk of suicide. Um, or they do what we call facility transport plan, which is when the veteran is, again, at fairly imminent risk, um, but the responder and the veteran and, and others that may be with the veteran come up with a plan for the veteran to either be transported or self-transport to an emergency room for um, immediate intervention. So those social service assistants, uh, they help the responders in actually trying to facilitate the whole logistics around that process so they communicate with police, they communicate with uh, emergency rooms. So in, in that way, we're very different than, um, than a typical um, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline call center. Many of those are staffed by volunteers. Some are, are, are you know, larger than others, but um, typically they don't have um, those social service assistants helping with those uh, emergency dispatches or facility transport plans. And they also don't typically have, and this is a big plus obviously to the VA system as a whole, they don't have access to uh, an individual caller's medical record, which you know, we receive calls from veterans that are engaged in care in VA and that aren't engaged in care in VA, but obviously if they are, um, then the respondents will ask the veteran if they can access their record, um, and that can provide a lot of, um, you know, really important uh, information with regard to kind of how to manage the call and what's going on with that veteran. So it's um, a little bit of an overview of the VCL. I'm not sure if I left anything out, but, um, you know, just let me know if you have other questions. No, it's great. And um, Joy, Sabrina, do you have anything that you'd like to add um, based on your role and your position of things that are important for our listeners to know about the uh, Veterans Crisis Line? Um, I think one of the, the most important things or one of the things, the takeaways that I, I had when I first came to the VCL is the extensive amount of training that our responders and our social service assistants receive when coming in to um, to coming in to work with the VCL. So of course we're a crisis center first, as Greg noted, how we're a part of the, the national crisis line, the national um, suicide prevention network. But we are, we of course specialize in working with active duty personnel and military personnel 
And what is unique to the BCL is the amount of training that goes into um, learning about military culture, learning about what um, separates our veterans, our nation's heroes, from the, the general population when dealing with crisis and dealing with suicide, and what are some of the risk factors that may be unique to this population. I think that that is something that really gives us a standout, along with, as Greg said, having access to those medical records that we can that we can um we can access when we're given permission by the veteran, but just having that being in touch with what that what that veteran may be going through, which makes them different from the um, the general population. Um, yeah, I, I think there's one other element that I did forget to mention, which does really make us unique as well, and that is that we do have the suicide prevention coordinators at all the medical centers, and so they're not part of the VCL, but they're very closely connected to VCL because um, the other thing that we do on every call with the veteran is, and, and this is irregardless of whether they're receiving care in the VA or not, is we ask them if they'd like a consult to the local suicide prevention coordinator. Um, and I think every day, um, you know, BCL averages on on average about 2,000 calls a day. And of those 2,000 calls, 20% typically uh, result in a referral to the local suicide prevention coordinator. So that's, you know, on average 400 consults that are going out every day for callers to VCL to the local suicide prevention coordinator. Uh, and then it's, you know, coming upon them to follow up with that, that veteran uh, typically within 24 hours, um, you know, and then to close out the consult within three days. And usually that's a consult that's going to connect them to, you know, further resources um, within the VA system of care. So it's, that's really unique that there, you know, there are no other um, suicide prevention, you know, crisis lines, call centers that have anything, you know, any kind of continuity of care uh, in the same manner that, that VA does. Yeah, I think it's another example of how the VA is really leading the field in terms of just really comprehensive, enhanced um, crisis services that we have out there, which is just a, an outstanding feature of what you all are doing and the work you're doing every day. I had one other question, sort of background before we move into some of the suicide post-mention specific questions and prompts. Um, but you all had started to touch on how the responders and SSAs work with um, other agencies and other groups, such as thinking about police and, and other folks that assist with rescues. And I was wondering if you could explain that relationship and how you all connect with people across the country, given that you're only in three locations, um, how you work with local first responders to assist with um, crises or rescues. Okay. Um, yeah, jump in whenever. So, of course, our responders are our frontline. Our Social service assistants are our frontline staff. Um, our responders are the ones who actually speak with the veterans, family members, the person, the caller who's calling in crisis. Once it's determined that the caller or the person that the, the caller is calling on, beh on behalf of the veteran or even a civilian, um, we'll call them the focus. Once it's determined that the focus is in need of assistance, um, our responders will make contact with our social service assistants whom act as liaisons between the VCL and dispatch to that that local area where the veteran or the um, the focus is located. The responder via IM um, and via email at times makes contact with the SSA to get as much information as they can. Of course, demographics, name, um, 
age, birth date, as much as they have in the location. And then our SSAs do the do the legwork of actually locating that person, um, making contact, like I said, with local dispatch and relaying that information to local dispatch to be sure that the, the focus is is attended to and is given the services that they need in the most um in the safest manner to the to the focus and of course to the first responders as possible. Yeah, and just to, to add to kind of how we develop that relationship, I think um VCL has also fairly recently embarked on um kind of a process to try to better educate local law enforcement with regard to what it is that we do. So we developed a brochure um, that talks about the relationship between VCL and describes what VCL does, but also how VCL can work with local law enforcement. Um, so whenever there's a call now, whenever there's a connection that's made, that that we send that brochure electronically um, to the department, ask them to share it with you know uh, their staff, and and to be aware of how VCL can potentially you know benefit them and their responses. In addition to that. Um, SPCs have also uh, fairly, I would say within the last two years, they've been um, working on a project where they go to training, um, and the training is provided through the VA Law Enforcement Training Center, so it's, it's, and it's actually pairs of staff from medical centers, and it's SPCs and um, VA police officers. They go to this training, and basically what they do is they Learn. It's a train-the-trainer model where they're learning to instruct local law enforcement on how to best engage with a veteran that's in crisis. So there's been uh, numerous pairs of, uh, you know, uh, SPCs and, and, and VAP police officers that have gone to this training and then gone out into the community and done typically trainings, and, and, and a lot of times it's for, they, they call it CIP, crisis intervention training, for um, the local law enforcement, uh, you know, in, in their kind of the, their local VA's catchment area. So that's that's another way that, and when they do that, obviously, they're talking about VCL and, and talking about, you know, if they encounter a veteran in crisis, um, that is one of the options that they can, you know, they can have that veteran contact the, the, the VCL. Um, it, you know, and, and we were also, we have started to work a little bit, try to work a little bit with um, some local Police jurisdictions um, after the fact. So if there has been some sort of an involvement or interaction, then you know we feel like things may have um, been done a different way. Then you know at times we we can reach out to them and try to discuss that. Um, you know, just try to improve practice. Well, thank you both. I think that's really helpful. Just before we get into the content a bit deeper, is to have that background and understanding of kind of what a day in the life may look like for a VCL responder and then also the SSAs. So helpful to understand how they're linking with local law enforcement and other agencies that potentially assist you all in the work that you're doing. Um, so next I want to move us into thinking about suicide post-vention um, within the VCL and just wanted to start off with kind of a broad question and, and get the discussion going in terms of what suicide postvention looks like at the VCL and, and how that may or may not line up with the types of calls or outcomes that you all um, have with the work that you do. Yeah, so I I think that post-pension comes into play in a couple of different ways for VCL. Um, and I can, 
I'll ask Joy to go into a little bit more specifics with regard to the interaction between supervisory staff and, and responders and SSAs. But to me, BCL um, on a daily basis receives calls from a variety of different people. But the the two primary uh, issues I think that they that that where postvention comes into play is when there's a veteran that's on the line with the responder, and and there may be some type of intervention, emergency dispatch, or whatever that occurs, um, and that doesn't go well, and it may end in a veteran death. So that, fortunately, that's not a very frequent event, but you know it has, and it, it, and it does happen occasionally that um, you know there can be a death that occurs with the responder while they're on the phone with the veteran, or at the time that emergency responders arrive or shortly thereafter there's notification back to the BCL that um, you know a veteran didn't survive uh, an attempt or or some other you know feedback to the BCL that the, the veteran has died by suicide and so when that occurs then um, you know there's actions that take place um, typically the responders are notified so if that call comes into a supervisor um, you know they, they are notified and, and the reason for that is that um, it you know the thought is that it's better to have that information shared by a supervisor with the responder and an SSA um, than just to have that information kind of received and and they hear about it but but it wasn't you know kind of in a structured safe environment that they can hopefully process it with um, the supervisor and or the the second level supervisor who's the team operations coordinator um, the other uh, thing that happens probably a little bit more frequently at BCL is that um, BCL will get calls from third parties, so family members, loved ones, um, sometimes sometimes police, sometimes, um, you know, other entities that are calling in to report the death of a veteran by suicide. Um, so the responders will take that information. There's a standard template that they complete. Um, they go through a process with the um, the family member. Uh, really to, to ensure that the, that family member or loved one, whoever it is that's calling in is safe, so they do a risk assessment with that individual. Um, and then they offer services. So they offer, obviously, um, you know, sympathy condolences. They offer um, uh, grief services typically through TAPS, so the Tragedy Assistance Program um, that, that VA has uh, an MOU with. Um, they offer those services. They offer to, you know, outreach directly to them if they if they would like. Um, they also typically offer them information with regard to um, the National Cemetery Administration. They usually offer them if the, um, the veteran was connected to the VA, they'll offer the um, typically the decedent affairs clerk at the local VA. Um, and then there are other local resources that they can, they can offer as well. Um, and in addition, they have put in a, a consult to, um, to the local suicide prevention coordinator so that they can reach out to family member loved one as well um, just in follow-up and to see if there's any other needs that they might have so when that happens um, that's kind of the post-pension piece that the BCL provides for its callers um, and then also when when a responder is involved in one of those calls typically um, they'll be, um, be, be that, so that form is completed that the, the supervisor is notified that that form's completed and that that call has taken place. So they'll typically check in um, with that responder to, to see how they're doing, um, you know, how the call went, if there was any concerns, 
from either the, the perspective of the, the caller or from the responder themselves, you know, if there was any impact to them, um, they can offer them time off the line, um, you know, and just time to process if, if, if they need be. Um, and I'll let Joy talk a little bit more about the, what, what's done, you know, in the event that there's a death that occurs when uh, the responder is actually working actively with the veteran. There are times where um, a responder has either in the in the immediate past or in, in in the distant past has worked with a worked with a veteran or worked with a caller, and we learn that that caller has died by suicide. Like Greg said, we do find it to be better to go on and inform the responder and and also the social service assistant, the SSA of that passing. The supervisor, the, usually the person's immediate supervisor or the supervisor who was assisting them during that call will sit down with the responder, sometimes with the responder and the SSA together to inform them of, of the death by suicide and to also process with the responder and with the SSA. Of course, in suicide work, um, we tell ourselves that this is the, the the death is not by any cause of our own, but for those of us who've experienced it, there are times that there there may be some thoughts of could I have done anything differently. So our supervisors are also most of our supervisors are also clinicians who are able to help process with the responders with the SSAs about what what took place and to be sure that they're they're ready to go back onto the phone. It's not a it's not a fitness for duty or fitness for um for work test, but it is a it is a check in. After informing and processing with the responders and the SSAs, they're also offered support, um, of course, through EAP supports by way of coming back and speaking again with the supervisor or with the or with the, even a team operations coordinator and we do frequent check-ins um depending on you knowing our responders and our SSAs and depending on how much they they it seems that they need that support. It is really important to us one that we offer support to our frontline staff. This is a, a difficult work that we do. Um it is incredibly demanding even for those who never experience um experience a caller having um died by suicide but it's just a very demanding work so it is important that our responders and our SSAs have a sense of community have a sense of um their supervisors being available to them in in their state of need and if we have persons who are not ready to get back onto the phone we'll find alternative duties to allow them time to ease back into the work that this important work that we do. Um, I just really want to um, relay how important the the relationship is between the supervisors and the frontline staff and the and the social service assistants and even the team operations coordinators and being able to to do this work and having a support system that you feel comfortable going to with questions and to know that a person will have answers or at least know. Um, where to find those answers. I agree with Joy, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that VCL, since, uh, you know, it's just undergone some pretty significant growth in the last two years, two, three years. It's gone from probably 200 responders up to the maybe over 500 now, and, and one of the things that they very purposely did was to readjust the, the supervisor to staff ratio so that it's 10 to 1 now. So, you know, supervisors do have... Um, sufficient time to spend with responders if they've had, you know, 
not not just a call that that related it or, or you know was was related to a death, but but you know any type of a difficult call, um, you know they're 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 able to go over to process the call with the responder to take the responder potentially off the line for a period of time, um, you know allow that responder some space to to you know to process and and. Um, and, and VCL is also very good about, you know, and I think that this is where VCL probably is a little bit different than um, what occurs at most of the medical centers, um, you know, with regard to postvention is VCL has the ability to, um, you know, that we don't have to put people back on the line, on the phone, if we don't feel like they're ready. Um, it, you know, they, we don't want to do that because we realize that, you know, we're going to jeopardize that. That employee as as well as potentially jeopardize you know any potential veteran caller or third party caller. So um, you know as Joy mentioned, there's a process if somebody comes offline has a particularly difficult call, they're going to stay off the line for you know a day or two or go to you know an alternative work duty. Um, they can gradually work that person back onto the lines and, and really provide a lot more supervision for them and precepting for them as they get back onto um you know taking active calls so that's kind of a nice um a nice situation that the vcl is you know and, and a nice uh, i guess means of support that the vcl is able to provide their employees which is probably a little bit different than you know obviously what you would find at a medical center yeah i think one thing that i wanted to ask you both a bit more about is this idea of a sense of community, which I think you both beautifully described there in, in several different ways. And I want to take it back to what you all had mentioned a little bit ago in terms of lots of training up front when people are brought on as employees of the VCL, whether that be staff, first responders, SSAs. I'm curious how you all are talking about suicide postvention and those pieces potentially during training, so before even um, occurs for a responder or another employee. How are you all talking about suicide loss in your training? During the training, the the process that we both described is described in in detail um, during our, our new employee orientation training, our new training, um, so that responders and SSAs alike know what to expect should the, should the unfortunate um, occur. Um, during the training process, we're told about. I also, excuse me, went through our NEO process. We are um, our new employees are told about what the process would be if there should be a, a completion or a death by suicide. Who it is that they're able to speak with, who should they reach out to, um, and what to, of course, what to expect. So, of knowing, I think that. I don't want to say it provides comfort, but it can at least provide direction should should it occur. Um, excuse me, we have had our, we have had situations where um, maybe the responder wasn't sure if there was a completion while they were on the line, but they knew what steps to take and who to inform, and then our supervisors were able to step in and to keep everyone informed and and supported through that process. So that is something that we don't wait to talk about um, when our responders and SSAs come onto the floor, but it's something that is discussed during the training process. Um, and like I said, I think that is something, I'm not able to speak to the training of the other the other call centers, but I think that is something that makes us um, very special in doing as much as we can to prepare our frontline staff 
or what the work will be like once they once they hit the floor. And along those lines, I know you all described ways in which uh, supervision and team operation leads and even EIP can assist in one-on-one -on -one support. I'm curious if there are times in which um, potentially a group of employees gather together to talk about the loss or the suicide and, and what that may look like and why that could be helpful to, again, enhancing this community that you all are talking about. Yeah, I think that, you know, it, I don't know of times that, that necessarily a group is convened, kind of a formal group with regard to um, a death. I think that, that it's more VCL is very um, well connected in terms of its communication. So there's constant communication over um, typically over Skype. So I am um, there's constant communication via email, um, and and that is kind of up and down the chain of command. So I think that when um, you know if there is anything that occurs that would be you know, a particularly um, disturbing death or event that um, that happens that, that that multiple people may be impacted by. That there's there's definitely opportunity for for folks to to check in with individuals, and you know, I think as needed, something like that could be put together. I don't necessarily um, recall anything, uh, you know, like that occurring other than um, I think VCL has actually experienced, I think it's two deaths, suicide deaths of, of actual responders. And when that has occurred, then there's been, um, you know, much more of kind of a systemic kind of community response. And, and there was time for folks to meet as a group and to process. And um, that's, you know, that's, more of what I remember with regard to kind of group meeting. The other thing that VCL does, um, and this is through training as well as through, um, you know, really kind of through through all employment. And I think it's, it's you know, so there's an acknowledgement of the work environment and of the stress um, related to the work environment. And, and that is attempted, um, and I wouldn't say necessarily mitigated, but, but I, I think there's an attempt made to at least address that, to acknowledge that. Um, and, and that's through the employee wellness program. So VCL has a very active employee wellness program. Um, and, and they kind of function kind of hand in hand with the AAP, but also, you know, hand in hand with the supervisors. Um, they're able to provide different kind of activities, um, and or opportunities for responders to engage in different things when they're off the phone. So, you know, VCL has like a meditation. They have, um, there are things that responders can do. They have a, um, they have an exercise room um, in Canada, where I believe this one in Atlanta too, where they can get off the phone, you know, during a break and then use a treadmill, use a, um, a Stairmaster, whatever it might be. And, and, you know, this is something that's kind of standard for, well, I would say standard for sort of the higher functioning um, hotline centers, um, and 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 you know it is something that that VCL offers, and and like I said, it's the the, the folks that are engaged in wellness really, um, you know, in addition to those types of things, they really do try to they really do try to build the spirit of community. So, um, you know, there's always some sort of an event that's happening, or you know, uh, 
um, a potluck or something, you know, and, and part of it is because, you know, VCL is a, it's a 24-7-365 operation. So um, I think that they do build a sense of team for, you know, the folks that are working the overnight shifts, the folks that are working um, the evening shifts. And, and I, I, I just think that that's real, really helpful in kind of mitigating some of the, the stress and the uh, um, issues that may come with, you know, typically connected with, with experiencing some type, some type of a death. And Joe Sabrina, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how colleagues may be informally supporting one another. So we've talked a little bit about the formal mechanisms of postvention and, and the supervision relationship, but wondering if you've just seen how colleagues support one another um, when one colleague may have just spoken with someone and, and learned to find out that they died by suicide, how do colleagues support each other in your community? At the VCL, at all three locations, they I think um, Greg may have termed it earlier saying, um, speaking of the support system, but at each location, the responders, um, SSA supervisors have, have grown a, a very strong network of support. So it can happen when there's been a call where there may have been a death. And, of course, we're in a call center, so there are cubicles, but it's not, you know, totally private. And if someone overhears what's going on, we've seen um, responders who were available who weren't on the phone, you know, comfort, um, comfort other responders. Even if someone has just had a, a difficult call that may not have ended um, with a death by suicide, but to be able to have someone nearby who can reassure the responder or to just give them, you know, a pat on the back and let them, let them know that they did a great job. That's also sometimes done through the IMs that Greg, those uh, um, instant messages or IMs that we do rely very heavily on that we use for communication with the VCL when we've had frequent callers or callers with complex needs who may be taxing our lines and the responders are able to reach out to one another. Even outside of the, the work environment, so when there are times that there's not a crisis within the VCL, um, such as a responder or SSA um, having a, a death by suicide, but just um, to be to to grow as a network in the good times. So we have a lot of um, responders who who get together out, outside of work to celebrate events or to celebrate anniversaries, like their anniversaries of working with the VCL. Here, um, Topeka is the, the newest site of the three sites. We opened in, in 2018, January 2018, um, the Topeka site opened, and um, a lot of the responders here, SSAs here, relocated to come to the to this location. Um, so they've formed friendships and networks within that. So we've been able to, to see how that support system um outside of the formal support system, but that uh, that informal network has grown and has really um, lent its way to, to be in the support. There was even um, a responder. We've had a number of responders who experienced tragedy in their personal lives, and we've come together as, as a broad community to, to support one another um, outside of the workplace as well as at the workplace. So um, it's... I think that it would be um, really difficult, really difficult to do this work without forming those networks and to also have people who stay in this work. And I think that's something else that's unique to the VCL is our turnover, our turnover rate. 
um, we have people who stay, um, and it's it's a very difficult work. But I believe that they stay because the work is supported. What they're doing is being supported, and they know that they're they're valued here. Yeah, I think both of you have just shared so many poignant ways in which this network of support is not just um, occurring after a loss or maybe even after just a challenging call, but it's embedded into the day-to-day philosophy of the work that you're doing. And uh, that is a true statement in terms of kind of turnover and burnout. We know that that's especially high in in this line of work uh, for responders and those that are, are working within a crisis center. So, it speaks to, I think, the, the right recipe that you guys have going on there in terms of informal and formal uh, support and, and good training uh, and that sense of community. Yes. So along those lines, uh, I'm curious how you all work to make sure that you're evaluating your processes of support. So definitely for suicide post-prevention, but how do you kind of check in to make sure that you all are contributing to ways to enhance the community and the support that you've described, especially thinking about those challenging calls or times or when a suicide occurs? How do you all kind of evaluate your processes and kind of revise and improve over time? So that is a good question, um, and it's one that VCL is really just starting to embark on. So um, there, there's so VCL is starting an RCA process, uh, similar to what's done in the medical centers, um, and also an issue brief process. Um, so it, it, and VCL has been doing issue briefs for a while now, but you know the issue briefs that they typically do are related to kind of the functionality of the phone system, or, or you know when the phones go down, or when chat and text goes down, or um, issues like that. Um, but more recently. There have been, and and they are starting to follow um, a protocol for issue briefs. If there is, you know, a death that's reported, um, and there's specific connection to, you know, a medical center or, uh, you know, any type of care or concern um, that, you know, in in similar vein to what uh, a medical center would report. So that that's happening now. Um, the RCA process, like I said, that is really new. That that's just been within the last six months that that's starting to happen. So the issue briefs are being, you know, they're, they're reviewed. As they're reviewed, they're reviewed kind of with a critical eye to see if there is, you know, any need for an RCA. Um, and and if there is that, you know, that, that process is, is undertaken. Um, the, the, I think that VCL probably, you know, and much of what we've talked about and described, has been um and and the responders have been um, probably protected in some ways from some of the the experiences that providers in a medical centers setting may may face that you know typically there what you know a suicide death is a fairly rare event, and when it does occur, there usually is going to be a peer review there usually is going to be an r c a I think those things can typically you know, if they're not handled well, they can add sometimes to the distress that providers are already feeling, and um, and and that hasn't happened at, at VCL because the, these you know these processes are fairly new, and I think also that we're we're really trying to focus on building into our RCA process the notion that it's you know we're looking at systems and how systems could perform 
better and not 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 necessarily you know an uh, individual so um we're really trying to be consciously aware of that as you know we start kind of down this road then in addition there are other times when deaths occur and and we're aware that there has been bcl involvement um and so we you know we'll kind of backtrack and work with the medical centers on um you know how that veteran was involved with the bcl when that involvement occurred um, you know, what the kind of proximity the involvement was to the death. Um, and, but, but we usually, our RCA process has remained separate from um, the medical centers, at least to date. The, the other thing, too, that I didn't mention, and I think that this is, this is something that's happened over the course of the last two years, I think now it's been. Um, so VCL does record all calls. Um, and that is something that the you know veteran callers are notified of when they call in um, that their, their calls are being recorded for quality assurance purposes. The responders, as they're being trained, are made aware that their you know their calls are being recorded. And as part of their training process, they listen to some of their own you know recorded calls. Um, the calls are also monitored by silent monitors. So every month, a certain percentage of a responder's calls will be listened to um, by a silent monitor, and they you know. They more or less grade the calls, um, you know, based on how the responder interacted with the veteran and if they, uh, you know, addressed different key elements of a call um, with that veteran or, or third-party caller. So that, I think, also gives the DCL um, kind of a distinct advantage in terms of um, things like RCA, but also in things like just quality assurance and improvement as well, so that, you know, if there is some sort of a death and you know whether it was you know whether the death occurred during the call or, or whether the call called in and, and you know there was a death sometime later bcl has the um the advantage of being able to sit and listen to those calls listen to how the in the responders interacted with the veteran you know what the veteran provided as part of the call look at what the you know the outcome of the call was um and then follow up from there, look at, you know, what the, the SBC's involvement in the case might have been, and then subsequently look at the care that was provided, um, you know, by the medical center to the veteran if, if, in fact, the veteran was receiving care in the VA. So I think that has really proven to be incredibly beneficial and not just with, um, you know, post-pension, but just with regard to overall the quality of the interaction and the quality of the assessment um, that BCL does with its callers, you know, being able to listen and, 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 you know, really kind of measure exactly what it is that you're doing and, and um, hear things that you may have missed or things that you may have wished you had said, or, um, you know, BCL that has what they call standard work, which is the processes that, that the responders have to go through or should go through on a call with the veteran and you know they can they can listen to see if they're you know getting through the standard work with that veteran caller and and um how they manage the call and you know where the call goes and and how they respond to um you know what the veteran brings to the call yeah thanks greg i think those are yet another set of examples of just the comprehensive approach that you are taking into this work about thinking about both you know, regular day-to-day 
engagement in the work and how that does relate to optimizing outcomes and making sure that we're taking care of people, getting them trained, supporting them in a multitude of different ways. Um, what I imagine is that we might have some listeners to the podcast that may be associated with a, a crisis center, a crisis line that um, perhaps is looking for um, growth in the area of support or community or networking, especially related to how to support employees after um, a suicide does occur, whether that's during a call, kind of afterward down the road, as you had mentioned, or even working with um, families and friends that call in to seek support, which is also another challenging facet of the work um, that Crisis Lions do. But Joyce Sabrina, I'm wondering if you could just speak to kind of the importance of why suicide postvention, that community and that network has really helped your well-being personally and professionally um, to really help our listeners understand why this is such a critical piece to making sure we're taking care of people in, in these types of workplaces. Oh, sure. I think professionally, um, the suicide postvention has helped me um, mostly in in connecting with the VCO and, dare I say, with buy-in. Um, it has helped to see how seriously and how committed the VCO is to postvention, is to support, has helped me to really um, to really become a part of the organization. It helps me to be, to feel more genuine in what we're doing. Uh, it would be difficult for me to um, to feel that the VCL is saying one thing, but, but doing another and to be in a role of leadership. So it is, it has really helped me to know that my, that our executive leadership um, really believes in being a support to, to our frontline staff, which has helped me to, to feel genuine and true and and caring about what's happening with our supervisors, our responders and our SSAs and being able to offer them support, be feeling comfortable to say if you're not ready to get back onto the phone, then that's okay and not feeling as though there would be pressure to have someone to just answer the phone, to knowing that what is important to us is that there is someone answering the phone who should be answering the phone. Um, so professionally, um, that's what the postvention has has done for me to know that one, we care about our responders, but two, we also care about our outcomes. That this is not um, something the VCL is not something that we're just putting forward to say that we care about veterans and their families and our civilian callers, but to know that it is something that is is really from all the way from our SDS. Um, to our director that we care about our outcomes, we care about the quality of the service that we provide, that our model is to provide um, world-class 24-hour, seven-day-a-week um, service to veterans and their families, that, that it's not something that we say, but it's something that we do, which means that we care about the product that we put forth from the training um, that we offer, um, that we that is offered or required of our employees, to how we're following through, and then to know that what we're doing is effective, and if it isn't, to figure that out, and then to do things that that fall in line with that mission. Um, personally, it has helped me to be able to come back to work. When I was working as a supervisor um, on the on the front lines, there there were there are days that it's just hard to to get up and to get out, but it made it easier to come to a place where I felt as though the the mission was true and to know that if 
it would be a, a bad day at work if something, if there were to be a completion that even as a supervisor that I knew that I could turn to my team operations coordinator for support and for guidance. And as a team operations coordinator, um, to be able to go to the chief of staff to feel like I could speak with him, that I could, I feel like I can speak with Dr. Miller, our director, and to know that I would be supported. So it's, it's helped me personally to to be able to come back here on on the when there's been a, a hardship when there's been something um, that that's just been difficult to deal with and it's helped professionally to know that I would be supported and supporting those who who work um, who work at my site. Yeah, and Greg, I'm curious if you have other thoughts to share again with folks that may be leadership. Uh, at crisis centers or crisis lines, or just other folks that are involved in other workplaces on tips or strategies of how to build this type of culture that you all have described throughout this podcast episode? Where would you help people kind of head down that road if they're trying to, you know, approximate and, and have similarities for the culture and community that you all have built? Well, I, I think it really starts with acknowledging that, um, that it's a need and that, you know, staff do need to be supported and, and that staff, um, you know, that, that staff do care about the folks that they're working with and, and they're, the, you know, the, the, they're veterans. And so that if there is any sort of, um, you know, death that occurs and, it, and, and, you know, suicide death obviously is probably, um, probably one of the most difficult because it's, it's typically not anticipated and, and, um, you know, and, and, and usually folks are actively working to prevent it and to treat, you know, you know whatever the, the underlying conditions are that might lead to a suicide death, you know, but any type of death in, a, I think, a facility, um, you know, can be difficult. So I think just being aware of that, being open to providing support, um, you know, specific to suicide deaths, I think that you know, if facilities would be, or, you know, facilities or, or whatever locations throughout VA or, or in the community, um, be, you know, just be be open to being able to provide support. I think planning um, can go a long way. So, um, you know, looking at what strategies you could put into play if the death occurs, um, having leadership, you know, acknowledge that um, that something has happened and, and that it may have an impact on folks and, and that this is what they have put in place, um, you know, to provide support for their employees, that they, they want to make sure that their employees can, um, you know, can remain healthy and, and take care of themselves as well as provide good services to the, to the um, you know, to the customers that they serve, whether they're veterans or not. Uh, I think that, that that's all very important. You know, within the VA, I think one of the things you know, um, we certainly encouraged uh, medical centers to to look at and try to put together some sort of a postvention plan, um, whether that be specific staff at a site that may be able to respond in the event of a suicide death to, um, you know, to work with all um, staff that may be impacted and not just clinical providers, but, you know, um, if, if there's a, uh, you know, a veteran who was coming in frequently and rode the DAV van, it might be DAV staff that are impacted or, you know, EMS staff or canteen staff or whoever, uh, you know, you never knew, know who may be impacted by, um, you know, a suicide death. So I think that that's important. I think that we have some great resources that are available. Um, you know, I would encourage folks to use the Visa 19 Myrick, um, the, you know, the, both the suicide 
um, the suicide consultation line, but also the, the, the suicide consultation line now that it provides post-pension, you know, resources as, as, as well. Um, so I would, you know, I would encourage and I have encouraged many staff to call there um, to seek assistance. Um, you know, and then also for supervisors to be aware of what resources are available for their staff. So, you know, what are the EAP resources available? How do you access those resources? Um, and, you know, how can you refer and assist um, any of your staff members that may be in need to, um, to connect with those services? Well, thanks so much. I'm going to do my best now to summarize a lot of the key aspects that we hit on, but then I'll turn it back over to each of you to see if you have any last words or anything that you want to add on to the summary as we finish up the podcast uh, for today. But I think some of the really big takeaways that I heard both of you speak to so eloquently was first and foremost, the need to really have a robust training uh, for employees that are working in crisis lines and crisis centers and that that's a, a real key cornerstone to building that well-being that I think you all are striving for. That good training up front is essential to being able to foster a sense of community and a supportive place and thinking about that in a really comprehensive way of how are we enhancing well-being for those folks that are working within a crisis center or a crisis line so that it's not just after an unfortunate outcome, but how are we supporting each other each and every day in the challenging work uh, that, that you're doing. And then I think we talked a little bit about the importance of having a plan that's established, but of course you go back to to, to revise and, and improve throughout time, but making sure that that plan is in place um, before an outcome occurs so that you're able to, as a supervisor, for example, easily access resources and provide the support that's needed and kind of be there for the person in the moment versus worrying about what to do or how to do it. And I think a big part of what I heard both of you talk about too is the need to have just really clear communication. So starting again back to that training up front of, of what this looks like, but communicating and fostering and actually promoting um, employees to talk to one another about the things that they're struggling with or the things that they're finding that help them be a bit more resilient. And then I also just wanted to close on what I think, you know, was spoken to really beautifully of this idea of world-class service that I think the VCL does provide, but the fact that you all are also thinking about world-class service back to the employees, the hundreds and hundreds of responders and staff and SSAs um, that are part of the three locations that part of offering world-class service is making sure that you all are taking care of one another too. And that's the only way that we can have a chance at providing world-class service. Um, so I'll pause there um, and see maybe first, Joy, Sabrina, do you have anything else you'd like to add in or any final thoughts or anything that you wanted to get out earlier but didn't get a chance to say yet? Um, I, I believe you summarized it beautifully. Um, I think the the biggest thing that maybe we want to get across is our passion, the passion that we have for, for serving veterans, their family members, their friends, their battle buddies, and of course serving um, our civilian callers who may, who may contact us in a time of crisis, that we really do have a passion for being available, for being prepared for their call, and for for really just being able to give any assistance that we can to someone who just 
maybe in a time of crisis, especially for those who are accustomed to being um, air quote strong and in a time where they need someone to lean on, we have a huge passion for that and just really want to make sure that um, the listeners know that. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for your passion too that um, we got to see a glimpse of during the podcast today. Thank you. And Greg, anything that you want to add in? Uh, I would just say that I think that, you know, whether it's a call center in the community or a medical center, that I think that they would really in some ways benefit themselves and their staff if they did try to model more on what BCL does with regard to postvention, but also, you know, postvention as, as in the terms of just general support and, you know, kind of being there, you know, obviously the fact that, that BCL deals with suicide on a, you know, a daily basis, you know, multiple times, um, it, it makes it, you know, imperative that they have good post-pension services and resources and support services available. But it, it, it really should be the same no matter the location, um, you know, whether it's a community or a medical center. And I know that, you know, if I would just put in one plug, I would say for, you know, medical centers to really try to do the same thing for your own staff and particularly your suicide prevention coordinators. Um, I think oftentimes my experience has been that their, you know, their their day-to-day experience is not all that different from a BCL responder. Um, and oftentimes they're kind of out there on their own, um, you know, within the medical center. And, you know, they're seen as the go-to person whenever there's an issue related to suicide, but, but, you know, they need that support and they need that sense of community, um, you know, and connection to the medical center and, and, you know, to a team, um, because we have a lot of good people out there that, that, you know, are SDCs and we want to keep those people. Um, and, and the best way to do that is to provide them good support. Well, fantastic. Thank you both again for joining us today for our episode. And, and thank you so much for, I think, really illuminating how, support and community isn't a one-time task, how it's something that we have to engage in every day in order to really have the the sense of community that means something and to be able to offer the care that we do um, in, in your cases to veterans, but also thinking broadly in this profession and this field, how important it is to make sure that we're supporting each other. So thank you both again for joining us for the episode and thanks to our listeners for listening in and we encourage you to check out some of our other Suicide Postvention podcast episodes as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much. This podcast is brought to you by Uniting for Suicide Postvention, USPV, in collaboration with the American Association of Suicidology Clinical Survivor Task Force. USPV offers suicide postvention resources designed for family, friends, acquaintances, employees, supervisors, managers, and professional caregivers, including mental and medical health providers. USPV is funded by the Veterans Health Administration Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention. Thank you for listening, and be sure to check out our other episodes in this Suicide Postvention series.